With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. New year, but same great sponsor. We are sponsored by Spotify Greenroom. We will be going live after the bowl game on Tuesday to talk about K-State versus LSU in football and K-State versus Texas in basketball. It's going to be a big day. Make sure you drink your coffee because we'll be going live after the football game that kicks off at 8. So it's going to be a long night, but bring your hot takes for the final football game of this season and a big basketball game as well. So download Spotify Green Room so your voice can be heard Tuesday night after the game. All right, we're going to get into the show. First one of the year, it is me and Jimmy, a.k.a. KSU underscore fan. Forgive a little bit of coughing from me. Uh, I'm sorry. No excuses. I'm sorry. Sorry for coughing in the mic a couple times. But it's a good show as we talk K-State, Oklahoma, and K-State versus LSU. Let's get it. Happy New Year. The boys are back. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Basketball's coming to town. Basketball's coming to town. Basketball's coming to town. Scott's making a list. Grant's checking it twice. They're gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Basketball's coming to town. Basketballs are coming to town. Basketballs are coming to town. The boys are back, and by gosh, by golly, it is another year. I hope everyone had a great Christmas. We're still inside the 12 days of Christmas, so it's completely fair to keep using the Christmas intro, which I did, and drinking out of Christmas coffee mugs, which I still did. Again, it's bad luck to be Christmas before the 12th day of Christmas. And as a gift to all of you, I'm bringing on the smartest man I know, one of the top 10 most handsome men I know, one of my top three favorite human beings in the world. You may know him on Twitter and KSO and Goema as KSU underscore fan. I know him as Jimmy, and we're going to talk some hoops. We're going to talk some K-State football, but before all of that, I want to ask Jimmy, one of my favorite people in the world, how was your Christmas? How was your holiday season? And do you have any resolutions for 2022? Oh, Christmas was was good. Um, we spent some time with family, which was it's always good. My, I've got two sons; they were home. They've been home the whole two weeks. We started off by going up to the Nebraska game in Lincoln, and that was a good time. Um, did some did some nice fun things together around uh, Junction City, where I live, and Manhattan area. Um, so that, that was all good. Um, enjoyed the time. I'm getting ready to go back to work again this week. So as a teacher, that two-week break is always nice and uh, not something I try to take for granted. Definitely. So then, I, uh, oh, so, sorry. At the secret day job, I actually get the whole week from Christmas Eve until New Year's Day off. And since New Year's Day fell on the weekend, I actually get this upcoming Monday off the day of this release. So my Christmas break is just about to end as well. And it really is nice to be able to step away for that time. Yeah, it is. It is nice. Um, resolution wise, probably, I just need to be more active, walk more, eat better, all those normal things. I try not to be too crazy with resolutions because I typically I'm not disciplined enough to keep them, but uh, <clears throat> just try to make realistic lifestyle choices that, uh, 
make me more healthy. Well, there you go. I think that's something that we all do. We're just going to jump into it. I was talking to Jimmy before we started recording. This goes against all my podcasting instincts. I don't have an outline. I'm just going to see where things go. We're going to touch on that K-State Oklahoma game basketball wise, maybe talk some macro hoops as well. And then we're going to end with a little bit of K-State LSU bowl talk because Quite frankly, until I saw LSU say they made it to Houston, I didn't think the game was going to happen. I think the game will happen now at this point. Again, just for everyone's, you know, full clarification, we're recording this at 1041 on Sunday. So a lot of stuff can happen, especially in the age of Omicron between now and kickoff. So we'll see what happens, but I'm getting my hopes up. But let's talk basketball. And speaking of getting our hopes up, so when the game was getting ready to go, um, and this is why I'm not using the, okay, we're lo- we're missing one of our top players as uh, an excuse or even, you know, even bringing it up with the K-State game because Marquise Noel was out, but they lost three contributors uh, for that game. And I think it was due to COVID protocols. When I heard that news, I was like, all right, it sucks that Noel's not going to be there, but this is now all of a sudden a much more winnable game. It really be- went from being, okay, this would be a nice bonus to, okay, if you want to think about dancing, this is maybe one you need to steal away. What were your thoughts when the news came out pre-tip-off on who all was going to be missing from the game? Yeah, I thought it was really good for as far as who they were without because um, Tanner Groves is a beast. Um, he was averaging 14.5 points a game, really good three-point shooting big, and would have been a really tough matchup for us. Um, they ended up being a tough matchup for us inside anyway. Really, uh, Bradford or Easy Agu couldn't really stay on the floor um, for, for any long stretch of time. So that proved to be true regardless, but Grove's not there was, was huge. Um, the other two guys were, two, were definitely guys that they missed, but they were really their uh, eighth and ninth guys off the bench. The, the, the Cortez guy played a little bit. Um, the younger Groves is solid, but he's not nearly as good of his brother. So I don't think, I mean, they did miss him for sure, but um, it's one of those situations where they had a guy step up, Elijah Harkness stepped up. I mean, he was a 10 point score anyway, but he played really well, made, made a bunch of threes, which he usually doesn't do. And, oh, that uh, made me livid, Jimmy. I that changed I mean, down. Yeah, he was, I think he was four for four for yes. the game and had made 12 all year coming into the game and was shooting. 27%. He's a, he's a 30% career shooter, 31% career shooter. So he's decent at, at making them, but he just doesn't shoot them a lot and doesn't make them a lot. But on our end, having, not having Noel hurt because he's really our best guy at uh, breaking people down off the dribble, getting inside a defense and attacking um, early in the game. <clears throat> it was kind of um, Selton was trying to do it a little bit and not being able to finish which was frustrating. And then Mark Smith kind of took over and was able to do it some. And we finally loosened up their defense. But again, uh, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, but another really bad start to a game. And and uh, that kind of defined it, getting down 8-0. And I think it was 27-12 at one point as the biggest margin. Um, you just can't do that, especially on the road against a good team. Yeah, let's start off with the bad. And there's plenty of it. So first off, you you touch on start off going down 8-0, and then I think we were down 15 at least a couple times, or maybe it was only 14. I'm not sure how high it ended up getting. But what do you think plays into it? I think for me, I, I sent out the tweet out there. I think some something along the lines on the effort is disheartening. And maybe like mm-hmm. calling out the effort maybe isn't the correct word, but I guess I'm not smart enough to really pin it on anything else because it seems to happen almost no matter who we're playing we're basically spotting that team, you know, the, uh, until the under four minute, Hey, do whatever you want. And we're not going to score. Let's see how big you can get the lead up to. And it's, it's, it's just, like I said, it's disheartening. Is it an effort thing? Is it a, they're not bought into the scouting report. Did it, does it just take a minute for this team to get their feet? What, what do you think it is? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've talked about leadership and things with Bruce, in, in his coaching style in the past. And, you know, it, he's not a real rah-rah guy, and I don't think you have to be. But then you have to build a team that has guys that can do that for you. And it seems to me that that's really maybe the biggest issue is that 
Yeah, it's like it's like you said. It doesn't matter the opponent. We could be playing good teams. We could be playing bad teams. Um, our last three games, the first ten minutes of the the game, we scored 10, 10, 11 points. Against Green Bay, we scored twenty six, which was a kind of a rare one. But then against Marquette, thirteen. First ten minutes, Wichita State ten points, Albany twelve points, Arkansas eight points. So it's been a trend. Um, our average gap against Arkansas, Illinois. Wichita State, Marquette, Nebraska, and OU, you take those six games. Our gap at the 10-minute mark is 16.5 to 11.3. So hmm. we're starting to gain – basically starting to gain spotting five points to all the good opponents we've played. Now, the, the good thing is we've outscored those opponents the other 10-minute segments the rest of the game. The second – basically, if you take second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, we've, we've responded. But that bad start just puts a team in a hole. And uh, while well, K State's caught a bit better this year than they were the last two years, everybody else is better too, especially in the Big 12. And we've played good enough teams in the non conference that we're seeing. Um, if you don't start well, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And uh, that's really shown up. Yeah. I, and I think as someone who has kind of been a Bruce defender, when it comes to this type of stuff, I, th I think not having that alpha as they, as we've talked about before, it's kind of been one of his biggest uh, deficits when it comes to building these teams the last few years. And I don't know if there's anything that they can do to really reverse the course. I, you laid it out. It, it doesn't matter who we play. And I, I think that's just kind of the frustrating thing. Um, if you were in, if you were in that locker room, if you were Bruce, is there anything that you can do to do it? Is it you try to become a rah rah guy, or you have Shane give a win one for the Kipper speech? I just, I, I, it's just a frustrating thing. It's almost similar to you know the football team in the third quarter. It's they've shown they're good enough, and it's just so tough to accept that they can't turn it on right when they come out of the locker. Yeah, as as a head coach, if it's not who you are, you can't fake it. Um, you can have your assistants help you out there. And I think, you know, some of K-State's assistants and Shane's a young guy, so that helps too. But that only goes so far. Um, it really comes down to your players. And, you know, you look at this team, probably our biggest alpha-looking guys when they're on the floor, Noel and Mark Smith, and they're both first-year guys. Even though they're experienced guys, they're first-year guys. And so I think that makes it tougher for them to step up. I mean, Mark Smith stepped up during that game and played, you know, probably the best game of his career, including Illinois and Missouri, and uh, really was was the star of the game. But it took him a while to get going, and then he was the only guy going for a long stretch of time. And then um, finally, <clears throat> Nigel Peck, Peck stepped up in the second half. But you got to have more than one guy going, and that was kind of the difference to me in looking at that game. Oh, you kind of had two guys get going. Or they had several guys. It guys step up that usually don't Harkness had a good game uh but also uh CJ Nolan which didn't surprise me playing his you know his dad's team CJ Nolan stepped up and had a really good game J Jalen Hill played a really good game and then Imaja Gibson is always good and hit some threes that were big for them as well so you know we we really had two guys step up maybe three Masood really stepped up in the second half um but they had three or four guys playing and and you if you don't match that um you're gonna lose and that's kind of what happened yeah we'll stay on the negative just for a little bit longer uh i thought in the last handful of games davion bradford had really started showing uh you know a little bit of the old self and i think casey easy has been pretty good most of the non-conference season Big Easy was fouling like, you know, it was me at the peanut eating wings. Like, you, you see a wing, you eat a wing. He saw a player, he fouled a player. And Bradford just struggled. Can, like, just basically as bad as we've seen them so far this year, um, especially when they have their big guy out, how much did that hurt us? Or did we see when we went small almost the entire second half, maybe it was a blessing in disguise by forcing Bruce's hand to play Ish at the five? Yeah, it ended up being – I thought that may be the factor. I mean, people always look at, well, we've got to guard them, but they've got to – my thing going in was they've got to guard us, and I wasn't sure they'd be able to guard Bradford or Iziagu. Um, 
but they were. Bradford had chances in the first half. He missed that dunk, and I think I think he's just you know you hope after you know basically two weeks off that maybe he'd be a little more bouncy, a little more explosive like we saw last year, but it's still just not there yet. And I think for Bradford, his- sorry for cutting you off, but I think for Bradford missing that midweek game hurt him because it was mm-hmm. it didn't allow him to kind of use that as his get back game. And again, OU had been off for like 13 days as well. So, you know, yeah. it's nothing they didn't have to deal with. But I really think that for him specifically, not having that get back game versus a lower level of competition getting some of his legs back, get back in the swing of things. I think that really hurt Bradford more than anyone on the team. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Cause he had, you know, he'd been playing well in moments lately. Um, he had nine points against Nebraska and five rebounds, probably his best game of the year. And then he had, you know, just six versus McNeese state. Um, and, and only one cup, three rebounds, I guess. So he wasn't great in those games, but he looked better. And then, you know, last night he just, kind of looked like he did earlier in the season when he really struggled and uh easy just kept getting fouls like you said like crazy and then i think they just said he can't play against his team and that's kind of the, the route they had to, to to go and you know it turned out that was the best best route but we really only had five guys that that contributed um Kasubke came in a little bit and he struggled as well and only played six minutes Easy played five minutes and Bradford played 18. The other guys all played 27 minutes or more. And uh, that also makes it tough when you're used to having a little more of a bench. And that's where not having Noel hurts you because we had no other threat really besides the top three guys and top five. Mike and Selton both did a few things, but not a lot. Yeah, and another thing, and it kind of goes with Bradford's miss dunked and, and then a guy like Logan Landers who only plays a couple minutes, but he had – Two uncontested, you know, should have been layups, but instead he tries to get up over the rim and dunk, showing too much of the ball and getting it blocked. It's just this team, while so much better than the last two years, I think if you roll out the ball and this team is playing the previous two years, they roll the other two years. And I I don't think it's close. But the issue is, is Oklahoma is going to be a uh, probably correct side of the bubble team on selection Sunday. And they're going to be maybe the seventh best team in the Big 12. And that's what's scary about the league this year and what really puts this team in a bad, you know, light. You know, you have these moments where you give up eight to start the game. You play versus a guy who has a career night from three point and you miss six points just on dunks. And the ending margin is only two points. That's what's frustrating and, uh, you know, kind of disappointing about this team. One final thing before we do try to talk a little bit of good and then look towards the future for this season. Uh, You pointed it out on Twitter. I think I said something similar, but I didn't have the numbers to back it up. Second chance points, whether it's offensive rebounds or even, you know, us not capitalizing off of a steal opportunity or the ball going off of us instead of saving the ball and they they get an inbounds play. Second chance points, ultimately, if you're only going to point to one thing, I think would be what I would point to. Um, Mark Smith is the leading rebounder on this team. And again, we were playing without our bigs, but even when Easy and Bradford are out there, they're not rebounders. Ish is not a rebounder. The only real rebounder I think we have is Mark Smith. And I guess Mike McGurl grabs his fair share of rebounds as well. Is this just something we're going to have to deal with? Or do you see any sort of silver lining or any reason to believe that this might be a wake-up call and we rebound better versus Texas on Tuesday and then into Big 12 play. Yeah, I, I think uh, – I do think we're a better rebounding team than we showed last night. We weren't – we haven't been as bad on the boards as we were last night. Um, as you're right, Mark Smith's definitely our best rebounder by far, 8.6 per game. But I look at, you know, per 100, which kind of tracks what they would get if they played 100 possessions given their stats and he averages 18 per 100 easy Agu isn't actually bad he's at 15.8 per 100 and then our third best is selton at 11.3 and davion's at 10.6 you know bradford's really the one that is the negative you'd like to see you'd like to see your big men above 13 per 100 probably around 15 if they're playing well 
and a, and a guard Mark Smith at, at 18 is pretty incredible for as many minutes as he plays and for being a, a smaller guy. So that's one factor. Um, it ended the margin ended up being 18 to eight last night. Um, and, you know, even against our better competition coming into the game against the five better teams we'd played, we'd actually been outscoring, um, teams on second chances, 11.8 to 7.8. So we'd had a four point margin, even against Illinois, Arkansas, WSU, Nebraska, and Marquette. So we had not been that bad. And we'd actually been leading slightly against those teams in rebounding rate, 23.4% to 22.9%. And offensive rebounding rate is something that has gone down through time. You know, in the Frank years, we were rebounding 40% of our missed shots. That's just and the average. And the average in college basketball at the time was in the 30s, and it's dropped down in the upper 20s because people don't send as many people to the glass. It's one of those analytics things where the value of an offensive rebound is is less than the value of stopping teams in transition. So um, it is something that's gone down. And, and, and Oklahoma was not a good offensive rebounding team coming into the game. They were only averaging um, just over – 24%, I think. Yeah, 24%. And ranked. the dagger in me, Jimmy. Come on. And they ranked, they ranked 289th in the country on offensive <sighs> rebounding rate coming into the game. But they just, you know, it's one of those things in basketball, you're going to have those games once in a while where you outperform your numbers. And it just happened that, oh, you did that against us. And uh, that was the disappointing part uh, besides the slow start, which, you know, a lot of people will point to those two things and, and talk about focus and intensity. You mentioned effort. I think focus and intensity is part of it too. And, and when you get beat on those areas, sometimes that's, it's, a, it's as simple as not being focused and not being intense to match your teammates. See, I, I, granted, we're, we're focusing on the negative, but I'm feeling even worse and worse about that, knowing what they were offensive rebounding coming into it. So that, that kind yeah. of uh, is dinging me a little bit. And usually I try to bring you on if I want to feel a little <laughs> bit better. So um, I, this isn't good. You're, you're kind of hurting my feelings, <laughs> not my feelings, but just kind of bringing my morale down, but we'll move on. And let, let's talk about some, at least uh, let's grab some positives from that game and hope we can push them forward and uh, that we see more of them in the games moving forward. But first I want to start with Mark Smith because I thought it was, wild that the stat was thrown out there that was k-state's first 20 and 10 <coughs> excuse me let's see if i'm good enough at editing the podcast to get rid of that cough <laughs> um it was the first 20 and 10 game since dean wade went off for like 25 and 12 i think versus oral roberts so that mm-hmm. isn't something we've seen in a long time but in in, in this game it 100 will get lost because the game ended up being a loss but Talk about Mark Smith's game and how impressive was that? Because, you know, I, I said it on Twitter, like that game kind of reminded me of like a Michael Beasley light type game. He was yeah. taking people on the dribble. He was grabbing rebounds. He was shooting threes. I was just, I, I loved seeing that. And it's kind of funny. There's one specific radio personality in Kansas city. Who's a Mizzou fan who really had a lot to say about Mark Smith. Uh, when the transfer happened, seemingly he he was ignoring that game. And basically, <laughs> I think almost Mark Smith's entire season, because I think he's been great for K-State. Uh, just talk about that game specifically. And is that something we can't expect 20 and 10 every night from him? But can we expect hopefully through Big 12 play 15 and 8 every night? Or do you think even that's a little bit too much to put on him? I think that's realistic with the way he's been playing. Um my biggest thing with Mark Smith is he's really changed the way he plays. Um, at, at Missouri, he was much more of kind of a volume shooter, shot a lot more threes. Um, so that was a lot different than how he's played at K-State. He's come become, um, I think, you know, early in this season, uh, Bruce Weber mentioned he told Mark um, – we need you to be our best rebounder. And, you know, his average at Missouri was three and a half, four rebounds a game. His average at Illinois was 1.4 rebounds per game. And he's at 8.6 with us. So <clears throat> that's a big switch. Um, 
at, at Missouri, he was shooting five and a half threes a game, and he's shooting two and a, two and a half threes a game for K-State. So he's really changed the way he plays, and uh, that adjustment has made him, I think, a better overall player because he's more of a driver, finisher, distributor, and rebounder than he was uh, at his previous two schools. So that sticks out to me um, as, a, as a guy that's been willing to do what it takes to win. I think it's, it's probably what it takes is going to be better for him long-term. Um, although it's tough to be a six, five guy and play the three at the next level, which is probably what he's going to have to be. So, um, give a lot of credit there. Yeah. And I'm, I was kind of surprised it had been that long, but you know, Dean Wayne's really the only volume player that could score and rebound that we've had that can play more than 20 minutes a game. That's a big factor in, in a guy that can get 20 and 10 is if you can play 30 minutes or 35 minutes. And that's what Mark Smith's able to do and then just be a really good rebounder from the spot. I do think part of that's a product um, of, of Bruce's system has always had lots of different guys rebound, guards rebound. Uh, the bigs aren't always heavy rebounders because they block out the other big and then let the, the smaller guys go get it, which isn't, isn't a bad thing either. But um, very impressive game. I, you know, I tweeted, everybody's tweeting that Mark Smith was single-handedly keeping us in the game, and he really did until – pack and and Masood stepped up down the stretch and hit some buckets but very impressive game and, and again we're going to need more of that we're going to need him to be really good if he can be that good you know he can be um a, a first second third team all level big 12 all level player if he plays like that every game he's not going to play probably that good of course but if if he puts the numbers you mentioned he can be a third or second teamer yeah and i think that's what this team is going to need um, let's talk now about Nigel Pack because he was catching some strays on Twitter in the yeah. first half. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not going to say rightfully so because I, I'm, I try and I'm not perfect because I, I did the whole easy loves fouling more than I love doing anything tweet. So I'm not, I'm not immune <laughs> to it either. But he was catching a lot of flack, but he really had. <clears throat> Man, I'm going to have to put some effort in if I want to get rid of those costs. Um, he put a great effort in the second half. He really got hot and it really was, the, you know, Mark Smith kept us in the game. Nigel Pack got us within spitting distance. Um, mm -hmm. Was there anything tangible you saw in how he played in the first half versus the second half? Or was it as simple as, Hey, the shots started falling. You started just feeling more confident. I, I really think a lot of it was the shot started falling. Um, you could tell early in the game, OU's one of their main emphasis is emphasis emphasis is <laughs> that's sorry about that. Um, You're fine. One of the I'm they were gonna, hacking right into the mic, so you know it's it's not the end of the what, world. They they really ran him off the line and guarded him really well, and then they pressured everybody else um, and made it tough for K State to run in the offense, and that's where it hurt them. Uh, going back to Bradford, that's where it hurt them as they tried to counter that by dumping some things inside to him and couldn't catch the ball one time missed the dunk and th those kinds of things really break down your plan so that's when they went small I think after that is when they figured out easy couldn't stay on the floor and Bradford couldn't play in this game but anyway they they really did a good job I think part of the thing that happens is is you can't play defense like that for 40 minutes and uh, I think they wore down a little bit which which opened things up for pack I think you know people want to always trash Bruce as a coach and you know the, the last two seasons speak for themselves but he is a pretty good offensive mind and can find ways to exploit what defenses do during the game and he's got good enough players this year I think that he can take advantage of that and that's one thing he did is he found ways to get pack open and uh, he started hitting some shots and then you know people there's there was a lot of debate on on Twitter and, and in groups that I'm in about the last shot pack took down to deep three running off a kind of a looked like a stagger screen or elevator screen. And it was deep. It was, you know, five, six feet behind the three point line, but Hey, you get a pretty open shot for your best three point shooter. And he's made three of his last four or whatever he was at that point. I take that shot. You know, I get, you know, wanting to get it to Smith and have him drive it, but Smith, you know, Smith was only 44% on two point shots. He wasn't dominating on twos and had missed several. 
and and uh, Nigel had gotten hot, so I didn't mind that shot. You know, it just didn't go in, and that was kind of the the diff. You know, at that point, the difference in the game. But uh, you know, as we talked, the difference in the game was other things too. Yeah, and I, I I'm not going to go after Bruce for drawing that up or even Pack for taking that <laughs> shot. I agree. You know, in an ideal world, maybe it's a little bit closer at that three point line, and but I, you know, I, I'm for it. And in my head, I'm like, I, I wanted to shoot the three. I wanted to try to get that lead and then hold on instead of getting it to two, because we saw exactly what happened the very next, you know, drive down, they get the end one. Uh, and then from that moment on, it's kind of battling. We didn't quite get it back. So I was fine with that. Um, the final thing I want to touch on is ish. He got hot as well. And it was while he was playing that five. I know, him playing that role in the ACC is kind of what led to him, at least the context clues he's put out there, has led to him transferring away. Now, he doesn't have another free transfer, but do you worry at all about having him play so many minutes at that five and then him becoming a locker room type issue? Because, again, we've seen it with a handful of guys before where they don't like the position they're playing with Bruce and they become an issue in the locker room. Do you think that's going to be the case there? Do you think, hey, this was just uh, circumstances dictating it? Or do you think, hey, you got to try to get him to buy in and do what's best for the team? How do you manage that if you're a coach? And then also, again, he got hot in the second half as well. What is it going to take to see him maybe put together a full game? Because he's seemingly a very streaky guy. That's a loaded question. I'm sorry. No, no, it's a good question. I don't don't think long-term – it's a, it's going to be a, a bad thing for him. I don't think we'll lose him as a locker room guy because he does play the four most of the time. I think he understands there's going to be games like this where against certain teams and certain matchups, he's going to have to play the, the, the five a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's not like he has to go down and bang. He's still pick and pop shooting threes and, you know, pretty much looks like he has the green, green light to shoot a three in transition. Um, and so he's still getting shots. He got shots last night. He ended up scoring, you know, um, finishing with 13 points and was three of seven from three. So that's still the game he needs to showcase if he wants to go play at another level. So he's still getting his opportunities. I don't think he'll be a problem. I do think watching him, um, he is a guy that you wonder about his engagement sometime, especially on the defensive end. He struggles. Um, I think he struggles to get going in games. He seems to play better in the second half compared to the first half of a lot of games. So, um, although the Marquette game, he played well the whole game. So, it's he's a guy that I think, you know, like you said, I, I don't think he's going to be a candidate to be all Big 12, but he's going to be a key player for K-State. And, uh, you know, he's at eight points a game <clears throat> right now, and he's played better lately. And he's shooting 36% from three. So he's going to be a key role. You know, you'd like to see him maybe grab a few more rebounds and be a little bit better on defensive end. But he's definitely an upgrade for us and and playing well at the four and then at the five when we need it. Both you and I kind of said on Twitter and before this game or before we started recording that this is this might end up being a what if game. Um, Yeah. I, first off, I want to say if it becomes a truly a what-if game on Selection Sunday, then I think that the season goes a lot better than what a lot of folks think. I think we're seeing a lot of folks, you're seeing it on Twitter and on message boards of the most adamant anti-Bruce folks are happy that the game went the way it did instead of us finding a way to win. Um, but for this to become a what-if game, we really do need to start finding some wins and this might be one we wish we would have got. What do you want to see versus Texas? Because to get on the pace that I wanted to see, I've been 18 and we're in, and you and I had an interesting conversation on Twitter about why that might be a little short-sighted if the extra win came against, you know, the uh, Florida, whatever random schools, these worse than 300 net schools, and why that not, might not be correct. So what do we need to see to get to that 7, 11, 8, and 10 range in the Big 12 to make Selection Sunday something that we are watching instead of, you know, looking at coaching hot boards or all that type of stuff. What, what does this team need to do 
in the next, I guess what, we have 18 games left, including that old Miss game before the Big 12 tournament. What do you want to see? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you have to almost have to win the old Miss game because, you know, they're they're not a team playing playing about at our level. They're probably going to be a uh, quad two win uh, for the road win, which is not a bad thing uh, at worst. So you got to win that one. And then, you know, I, I always break it down the way the way I've looked at this for for years as I've watched selection processes and what goes into it. Um, you need to win three to five games in quad one um, for sure. And it's kind of like a sliding scale, like the old your ACT and your GPA used to be to get into college. You got quad one and quad two are really the two you got to watch. You probably need eight to 10 wins combined in quad one and quad two. And the more quad wins, one wins you get, that's better. Of course, if you get four or five quad one wins, you're probably going to have two or three quad two wins and you're probably safely in. If you only get three or four quad one wins, then you need more quad two wins. And then you got to avoid quad three losses, which we've done a pretty good job of so far. So that's what I watch. I don't look at total wins at all. I'm just looking at where, where can K-State go to find quad one and quad two wins and, and Wichita state is going to be a quad two win at worst. Um, kids still remain in quad one win, but they got smoked yesterday. So they, they could be falling a little bit, although Memphis is a pretty good team. Um, so <clears throat> that's what I'm looking at. And there's going to be plenty of chances to do that. Basically every game in the big 12 should be a quad one or quad two opportunity. A few might slide into quad three. If a team falls off um, and lands in the eighties or nineties besides us and uh you get those wins on the um, at home. They aren't quite as big a deal, but still, you're going to have pretty much quad one, quad two every game in the Big 12, plus the Big 12 tournament. So you find a way to win those games that you're going to have your top three in the league, which is probably going to be Baylor, Kansas, maybe Iowa State, maybe Texas, maybe well, Texas not Tech. Be Iowa State. I, ready for this <clears throat> hot take hot take prediction? Putting it out yes. there right now. The Kansas State men's basketball varsity scholarship team will finish in front of Iowa State basketball in the Big 12 standings. Mark oh, it I, down. I, I would love that. They, they, I didn't watch much of their game yesterday against Baylor. I watched a little. They looked decent. We'll see what happens. I, I do agree with you that there's going to be one of those teams we think is at the top that's going to slide down and be average to below average in the league, though. Um, but anyway. Those top three teams, you got to win one or two games from them at home, steal some. The middle teams, you got to split with, and then there's probably going to be two or three teams that are at the bottom, and you've got to pass them and and, and sweep them and get road wins. So there's nothing <coughs> wrong with um, losing on the road to OU because they're going to be a tournament team almost assuredly, probably fifth or sixth in the league, um, which is which is not a terrible road loss. I mean. Really, if you want to look at K-State's season right now, the, the, the worst loss is Marquette at home, for sure. And then Arkansas, especially the way we played in that game, was looking like a loss that wasn't very good because they're, you know, Arkansas has lost three of their last four, including Oklahoma beating them by 20. So, you know, we, we just weren't ready for that game, and we didn't play well in that game. So, yeah, I th those, I are, those are going to be the two that we look back at and say, what if? Oklahoma's... I'd, I would doubt that Oklahoma's even in the top five what-if losses at the end of the year. I, I think for Oklahoma, it's kind of – we spotted them, and then, uh, you know, you win that game, it, I think it erases both of those losses. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. kind of why I've marked that as the what-if game uh, for me. But I agree that Marquette game, and then, uh, yeah, we just weren't ready to rock for that Arkansas game. So um, here's my final thing. Uh, and then we'll move on and talk a little bit about the bowl game. It's going to be a big day on Tuesday, which sucks because yeah. it's it's my first day back. So I just I'm just going to want to be focusing on sports, but instead I'll have to get some work done. But what is if, if you're going to say, hey, this is the biggest key indicator for getting the win versus Texas? And in my head, again, if you can if you split every single week moving forward and, and granted this was the weekend game versus the weekday game I know it gets a little funky but if you can split go one and one in this first two games I'm I'm feeling okay 
about my desire to get this team into the tournament. But what is the number one thing, if you could say, if I could guarantee one, uh, you know, stat except outside of, uh, you know, of course, points scored, uh, that would lead us to a victory versus Texas, what would be the one thing you'd want to lock in for this team? Um, <clears throat> I think the biggest one, the, the biggest thing, you know, no one's really talking about from last night is that we finally hit threes against a decent team. Um, K-State was 45% from three and made 10 against the Sooners, which is usually a pretty winning formula for a Bruce team um, to hit threes. Um, I've looked at it before and someone pointed out on the board yesterday that uh, if Bruce has a season where he hits 34, his team hits 34% from three, he goes to the tournament every time in his whole career. If his team is 32% or less from three, I think he's made one tournament appearance in his career. So if, if K-State's going to shoot in the forties against a good team, that's going to give them a really good shot to win. So I'd say hitting threes, Second would be, um, I'll just throw in a second, Texas forces turnovers on almost 29% of opponent possessions. So K-State will have to take care of the ball. They did a really good job in the second half. They struggled in the first half against uh, Oklahoma and did a really good job in the second half about taking care of the basketball. And if, if uh, hopefully Noel is back, that helps us, I think, in some ways. I mean, he does take chances and has a few turnovers, but he also creates more opportunities for his teammates as well. So that would be the two I would watch for the most. Well, I'm hoping we get that Texas win, and I'm still on that drive for 18 and we're in. I'm not giving up until that's not a possibility. Let's shift a little bit into football. Um, we talked before we hit record. I was going to do a full football preview on this, but with honestly up until yesterday – and even today, now that I'm seeing video from LSU practicing, I almost was more – I was thinking there's only like a 25% chance the game was going to get played. So I didn't bother getting primers. I didn't bother getting uh, any outlines or anything together because I didn't want to put in, honestly, a bunch of work and then have the game get canceled. Uh, you have watched a bunch of LSU. Just kind of give me a taste and give the listeners a taste of what we're going to see from LSU on Tuesday to the best of your knowledge. Granted – they're either going to be playing a walk-on quarterback or a, a wide receiver at quarterback. So, I mean, who, who really knows what we're going to see? Sorry. Uh, so, but I do want you to kind of walk through what you were able to see on tape when you got to watch them on uh, YouTube and some other clips. Well, remember at quarterback, they did get the, I don't know how they got it, but they got the exemption for Wait, Garrett what? Newsmeyer. Yes. Holy He's, shit. Oh my God. Okay. Time. I, I need to go on a little <laughs> bit of a rant here. I'm sorry. First off, I didn't see that. Uh, second yeah. off, that is fucking absurd. And again, sorry, mom, for dropping a hard <laughs> F bomb. I know you love it when I do that, but my God, the NCA is in a battle for their lives to be, uh, to, to be seen as legitimate. And, and again, I, if, if we didn't spend so much time talking about basketball, maybe this will be an off season thing that I do, but people talk about how, Oh, the bowl games don't matter and all this type of shit. And I disagree with that so much, especially since the playoff semifinals are always shit. There's been one good semifinal game ever. Bowl games are awesome. They're not meaningless uh, exhibitions, all this type of stuff. But my God, unless you are making a one-time exemption for one school that just happens to be in the SEC as well, that, that just makes me so mad. And again, whatever, like it, it is what it is. It's done. I didn't see that, but holy shit, like they're in a battle for their lives and here they are doing that. You can't do that unless you are completely changing the rule for everyone saying, look, we won't count bowl games towards the four. That just... That just blows my mind. I can't believe I didn't see that. Oh, my God, Jimmy. Again, you're just telling me all sorts of stuff that is just making me melt down. Maybe I won't bring you on whenever I need someone to fill in. My God. But, okay, sorry. They did get the exemption. The freshman is playing. Continue. What can, what should we expect from LSU? Well, he's he he really he only he really only played in two games – this season with, with kind of legit reps. He played a lot against Arkansas, a game uh, 
<clears throat> a game that the LSU lost. Let me look up the score here. They lost Arkansas 16 to 13. So they didn't have much offense in that game, but they played pretty good defense. In fact, it was their worst offensive game of the year. They scored <clears throat> 0.93 points per possession against the Hogs. And uh, their, their starting quarterback, Johnson, I believe, um, <clears throat> played only the first two series and then was out. And Noose, Nussmeyer played the rest of the game. Um, he had some, you know, he had some good moments in that game. He's solid. Um, it's still a big loss to lose Max Johnson. He's, he had 27 TDs to six interceptions. Newsmire had two TDs and two interceptions on the year and only averaged 5.8 yards per attempt, which isn't very good. <clears throat> the bigger news is uh, Friday, their leading rusher opted out, Tyron Davis-Price, and he averaged 4.8 yards per carry and led him in rushing with 1,000 yards. 1,004 yards and had 211 carries. The next, their next guy is Corey Kiner. He, he averaged uh, 4.2 yards a carry, had 65 carries for 271 yards. So <clears throat> they are much younger at running back. Um, I watched just highlight videos. I didn't watch full games of LSU. <clears throat> and 90% of the carries on the highlights were this uh, Davis Price guy. So that's a big loss for them, not having their running back. They do have a bunch of big old receivers, six foot, six two, six three, six one, six five, six one. That's their top six receivers. They're all huge dudes. And uh, so it's one of those things you always play those SEC teams and you see they have all these freaks at receiver. And uh, <clears throat> they've got some big guys that can go make plays. So that that will be a challenge for our secondary um, as we as we look at, at how they play. And it's funny, they have some you know, they have a tight end, number 80. He's kind of listed as a receiver and a tight end. He's more of a big receiver, but he does play kind of the H-back for them. So he's he's a guy to watch. Defensively, two of their top guys are opt-outs. Uh, linebacker Damon Clark, who is their leading tackler, their leading Havoc player. Um, he had 21.5 Havoc plays this year, which is really good. Anytime you get 20 is good. And then the, one of their better defensive tackles, Neil Farrow, is out. But they still have some nice guys. Uh, Micah, Micah Baskerville is a linebacker to watch for. He had 13 Havoc plays. And B.J. Gilari is a kind of outside linebacker defensive end. Um, I, I did read one thing I noticed is that uh, they kind of change schemes during the middle of the season. Um, they're listed as a 4-3 defense and have played more like a 4-3, 4-2-5 with a nickel. Uh, but <clears throat> they've taken um, basically one of their outside linebackers or defensive end and playing more like an outside linebacker, although he rushes a lot. B.J. Ajilari is that dude, and he plays standing up, but he makes a bunch of plays from the outside linebacker spot. They send pressure a lot. Um, it will be interesting to see how they react to not having uh, Coach O on the sidelines and some of those things, because I think he is – that's a, definitely a rah-rah dude. Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> and not having him – you know, that changes things with the dynamic of your team and your game. Um, but, you know, some of it will be how, how hard they come to play. I mean, I watched uh, them play Alabama, and they had the ball three times, down 20 to 14 in the fourth quarter with a chance to take the lead and didn't do it any time. And I'm like, man, you do that to Alabama. But then, you know, they – you know, Mississippi was good, but they just got drilled by Mississippi, gave up 42 points. Um like I said, they couldn't move the ball against Arkansas at all with with this uh, Nussmeyer quarterback and with Davis Price at running back. So it will certainly be an interesting game. I, I would kind of favor the Cats just because I think we want to be there more than they do. And we have our team intact pretty much. And, you know, you know, I'd, I'd, we'll see what it looks like. But I think the uh, the quote from Kleiman was, Skyler looks as healthy as he has all season, which is a pretty positive sign for K-State going into this game. Yeah, at least from my point of view, everything I've like seen press conference-wise and stuff from players, they really like that interim coach. And again, there's a great, uh, a, a great motivation, at least from him. He had a great quote about, you know, saying, hey, he's an African-American, grew up in Louisiana, and hey, look what you can do, what you can achieve. So I think if you're looking at interim coaches, I think in this entire bowl season, I think it'd be tough yeah. to find one who 
wants to win more than LSU's guy. I think that the players who are there, I think they're going to want to perform for him. And I do think that it's a very real thing that they're going to want to prove themselves for Brian Kelly, who all of a sudden has some Mm -hmm. fake Creole accent, which I think is hilarious. Uh, (laughs) Because again, in the age of the transfer portal, Mm -hmm. I know that some of the stuff that has gone along with it is it's four-year guaranteed scholarships. But at the end of the day, if the head coach doesn't want you, you're going to find your way into the portal. So I think that there is going to be a little bit more motivation from the LSU team than I think some folks out there are giving them credit. And again, you know, at, at a place like LSU, I mean, what they just plucked in and took and or not, uh, who was the uh, safety that we won so badly? Oh, I can't even remember, but they can, I pluck, can't they can pluck, you know, high three star, low four stars, uh, in Louisiana, and that's that's their depth. Where we have the yep. walk-ons, they have the four-stars. So, again, they're going to have talent out there. But I agree with you. I think K-State wants to. I think that's one of the best parts about Coach Klein. I don't think there's ever been a game where the guys go out there and they don't want to perform. Uh, you yep. can say some other things about what's been going on in his coaching career, but I don't think that'll be an issue. And, again, you have a guy like Skylar Thompson – his final game up to this point, and I'm so glad he's going to play in the bowl game, was that disappointing game versus Baylor. So you know he's going to mm-hmm. want to perform, and he is so loved by those guys. I think just having Skyler out there takes, you know, the energy level up to an 11 with this team. They they want it so badly so they can send him and J-Mac and all these super seniors out uh, on a high note. So I'm I'm just super excited for it. And again, something that I think is going a little unnoticed, because if you're tuned into message boards, if you have, you know, the quote unquote insider group message stuff, things were not great after the Texas game. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but this coaching staff, guys like Taylor Bratt, guys like the head coach, uh, they were able to keep everyone calm. Yes, we saw a couple folks hop in the portal. But ultimately, they kept everyone calm. They got everyone rebought in. And I think that says a lot about this coaching staff, not just the coaching staff, but the analysts and the culture that they have had built, that even after a disastrous game versus Texas and a disappointing game versus Baylor, they were able to get everyone to just relax, take a minute, and bot back in. And I think it says a lot for the culture that they have rebuilt with this team. I'm looking forward to them getting on the field one more time um, if you were going to have a pick to click on each side of the ball for K-State, who would you put that prediction on? I would say um, offensively, it's, it's tough because I think Deuce is so important, but I think I think you're right, it's Thompson. And being able to bring some balance to the offense because uh, <clears throat> while uh, numbers-wise, LSU's defense is not great. Uh, they're only ranked um, – 40s, 30s and 40s in the metrics, so they're not a super dominant. They're number 72 in points per drive allowed. Um, so they're, they have not been a great defense. Um, but uh, their pass efficiency defense is only 92 in the country. So if you can exploit that and, and f- soften up their front, because they're super aggressive up front, and they're going to bring heat, they're going to bring pressure, play a lot of man-to-man defense, and so if you can give Skyler time and then he can find some open receivers um, in the passing game, that that helps K-State a ton. So I'd say Skylar Thompson, you know, throwing for at least 250 yards uh, in this game would be my first first for the offense. Defensively, um, you know, it's probably going to be Felix. And, and if he can disrupt and, and put pressure on this young quarterback and then help against the run against um, – LSU's younger stable of, of backs, you know, Felix is huge. Daniel Green, I think, is big and inside. Um, but it'd be one of those two. And then, you know, <clears throat> Felix can have, you know, two or three pressures and maybe a sack or two. That's it. That's going to be huge for K-State's defense. No, I, I hear you right there. I'm going to throw one. Uh, it's not a pick to click, but I say keep an eye on R.J. Garcia. <laughs> Damn. I think uh, with, with a with you know how leaving the program, I think R.J. Garcia is going to get some snaps and he is going to make a big play, and that's what I'm going to keep my eye on. Um, I ultimately think K-State wins. I think it's going to be like a 34 to 
24 type game, 34, 27 type game. I think the line has gotten up to K-State minus four and a half. So I I, I think that's where the Vegas money is going. If you had a gun to your head, if you had to do a score prediction, where would you land? I'd say 27, 23 K-State. Okay, I'll take it right now. I'll take it right now. Uh, So that's really all I had in mind. Is there any major – I guess I'll say this. Do you think that the fan base is going to have any sort of calmness when it comes to judging Colin Klein as a play caller? Or do you think Twitter is just going to make it seem like Messingham is still there? Because I know my answer. I think I think it's it, it's going to be hot take city, Scott. I mean, it's going to be <laughs> overreaction either way. He's either going to be a clown that stinks or he's going to be the next best thing, you know, in the, in the, <laughs> honestly, the, the KU back, the K-State background for him makes it more likely that if we play even remotely well offensively, um, they're going to say, you know, he should have been the OC the whole time and this was a mistake of climbing to bring his buddy. And, you know, that's going to be the reaction if, if K-State plays well on offense at all. Then if they don't play well on offense, then it's going to be he's ne- he's never been a great quarterback coach and he needs to go somewhere else and learn and come back to K-State if he either ever wants to be a coach again. So it's going to be some wild reaction one way or the other. It's never going to be, hey, I'm glad we did well. This is just a bull game. It's probably not the greatest thing to judge a coach on, but you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, and, and I'm actually excited for that because, again, uh, I, I think ultimately, especially with some of the stuff you heard, I think they didn't have a choice. I think they needed to move on from Messingham. But I think yeah. that if if you if you just changed it from Courtney Messingham to random dude who didn't come from North Dakota and wasn't Chris Kleiman's best friend, or even say say Andre Coleman stayed on as the OC, which I don't think would have yeah. been a good thing. But if he would have had the exact same, just literally nothing different, but as Andre Coleman instead of Courtney Messingham. I don't think fans would have had this reaction at all. I, I, I think ultimately uh, maybe the players reaction and some of the internal stuff would have uh, the, the frustration from the last handful of games, maybe that would have been the same, but I don't think fans would have had this reaction at all. And uh, I think it will be very funny to watch everyone's reaction to play calling on Tuesday. I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to it because I'm going to try my best not to even tweet during the game and just watch the reaction. <laughs> and just take it all in for the final football game. But uh, <laughs> excuse me, I'm looking forward to it. Tuesday is going to be one of the biggest days in K-State sports in a long time. You have two big games for the two biggest programs. And then also anyone listening to this, I'm just letting you in. I cannot wait. If K-State wins, the tweet I have lined up to compare us to Iowa State is going to be fire. It is going to Make any cyclone who hasn't blocked me melt down, and it is going to make everyone at K-State laugh. So I'm hoping I get to do the tweet. Uh, And even if we don't, I still might do a version of the tweet. So stay tuned. It's going to be fun. That's all I have. Happy to be doing this again in 2022. I'm happy that Jimmy is on with me. Like I said, one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, We love you guys. Grant would say meet me at the Cathead. But, Jimmy, I'm going to give you the final word. Say whatever you want to K-State fans and boneheads everywhere. I'll just say, uh, first, aren't we due for like a really great day as K-State fans? A double win Tuesday, beating Texas, beating LSU. I just think we're due for one of those days. We haven't had one for a long, long time. So that's my number one hot take and, and counterpoint. The last one is just uh, to quote uh, the, the, the guy, Taylor, go Cats. Good old acquaintance. God and never brought to mind should all acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang
Podcast Network.